welcome to the Ajanoclast. I'm your host, John A. Lancaster. I'm going to cut right to the point. There are plenty of developments going on in America that I have a problem with. Some are socio-political, others are more economic, there are some cultural issues, things of that nature, the controversial problems. I'm not exactly thrilled with how these problems are being addressed, so I've created this podcast to throw my voice into the fray and see if I can make a difference. That brings us to the topic of our first episode, the Occupy Nulu movement in Louisville, Kentucky. Now, the Occupy Nulu movement is demanding that businesses in the Nulu district adopt racial quotas in their business practices. These quotas entail allotting a minimum of 23% of the front of house and management positions to blacks and stocking a minimum of 23% of inventory with goods from black retailers. The rationale for these demands is made clear from a quote by the occupiers themselves, which appeared in their document addressing the Nulu business owners. I quote, Black folks can't have their own space when wealthy white folks see an opportunity to make more money. Unquote. This sentiment is not only egregiously false, it is a shameful, disgusting degradation of the black race that does not reflect historical fact. One can go as far back as the antebellum period of the United States and find free blacks in New Orleans owning more than $2 million worth of property. And that's $2 million not adjusted for inflation. Those same free blacks also created and supported their own benevolent societies, schools, and orphanages for their own communities. When Frederick Douglass visited New Bedford, Massachusetts in 1838, he found many former slaves who, in his own words, quote, had not been seven years out of their chains, living in finer homes and evidently enjoying more of the comforts of life than the average slaveholders in Maryland, unquote. Now, here's something that many people have no knowledge of. After Black Wall Street of Tulsa, Oklahoma, was burned down in 1921, you know, during the race riot, it was rebuilt by the next year with 80 businesses opened by that same year. And it would go on to have over 100 more businesses after the race riot than before. Now, Tulsa's Black Wall Street, and I, and I keep saying Tulsa's Black Wall Street but because there were multiple Black Wall Streets, thrived even through the Great Depression until black people themselves decided to invest in white businesses during the desegregation period. In 1935, Pittsburgh Courier journalist George Schuyler took a visit to Jackson, Mississippi to inspect the black community there. Here are just a few examples of what he found. He found a black person who owned more rental houses than anyone else in Jackson, He found a black doctor who succeeded in building his own private hospital. He found a black farmer who owned a dairy that supplied much of the milk consumed by the capital. He found several black educators who built large schools from exactly nothing, his own words, exactly nothing to modern buildings. Now, I'm going to cut these examples short for time's sake, but I can go on for hours listing these 
fantastic achievements. Now, mind you, I've only provided a very slim selection of black accomplishments during the pre-civil rights era. History is littered with plenty of these kinds of accomplishments. They are not scarce, nor are they hard to find. Anyone who is willing to look into these sort of things can start by reading the articles and books written by Walter E. Williams, who is a fantastic economist. I believe he's working at George Mason right now, uh, the great journalist who works for the Manhattan Institute and... I believe the Wall Street Journal, Jason Riley, legendary Thomas Sowell. Someone really wants to go into the rabbit hole, they can pick up a copy of George Schuyler's autobiography, which is unfortunately out of print. Uh, it's called Black and Conservative. He gives great examples in there. Even a cursory glance through Wikipedia will give decent leads about black economic achievement especially black economic achievement in the midst of circumstances far more debilitating and hostile than the racial climate of 2020 USA. And to think there is a group with us today formed after the numerous amounts of black economic accolades through the past 200 years that claims to be pro-black or at least is putting on pro-black airs and says black people can't have their own space when wealthy white people want to make profit? Any group or person that espouses that ignorant drivel is not pro-black. They are pro-victim. Now, in this Occupy Nulu document, there are a list of repercussions that will be levied against businesses who fail to comply with their demands. Now, among this list is a threat of blacks placing booths and tables outside of the non-complying establishments where uh, competing black proprietors will offer items comparable to those offered by the offenders. I find that odd because if the occupiers had any faith in the ability of blacks to compete with others in that district there wouldn't be a need for the quotas. You know, because presumably the black businesses would have an incentive to hire black people, you know, and thrive amongst the other businesses. Now, there wouldn't be a need for the boycotting, and protesting, and slander that the occupiers are threatening businesses with if the occupiers themselves believed in black businesses the same way their ancestors did during slavery, during the most powerful era of the Ku Klux Klan, and during a time when there was no civil rights movement. I don't see how any group or person can claim to uplift a people when they don't even have confidence in those people to sustain themselves. This Occupy Nulu BS is beggary disguised as militancy, and if anyone doesn't believe me, then consider this. The economic well-being of blacks under this particular plan can only go as far as the white folks. It's the white folks holding blacks down, according to the occupiers. The occupiers are presumably targeting white businesses with their demands. But what would happen if these white folks' businesses went belly up? Or what if these white folks' businesses stagnated? Or what if these white folks decide to 
move their business to a different area. Then what would the blacks do according to the logic put forth by the occupiers? There's no talk of self-employment. There's no implication that the black businesses could survive on their own merit. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a need for any of the quotas. Now, economic reasoning tells us that the black businesses, or any other business for that matter, would fill the void left by the absence of white businesses if those white businesses did decide to leave. But then again, all it takes to destroy that is for wealthy white people to show back up. By the occupier's own logic, they have rendered blacks as helpless sheep. You see my point? The inconsistencies concerning the tone of their message and its implications would be hilarious if so much was not at stake. And, and what's equally disappointing are the racial quotas. Quotas do absolutely nothing to uplift anybody. It speaks nothing of the abilities, productive characteristics, valuable qualities, or significance of a group. What it does is shoehorns people into positions because somebody was unsatisfied with how things looked. It renders the targeted employee's presence as purely symbolic, and at that point, the marginalized, as the woke crowd calls them, are merely, are merely points in a game played by do-gooders competing to mold the world to their preferred image. You know, the cruel irony in all this is that the Nulu occupiers claim to want representation over tokenism, yet their plans do more to trivialize black people than the very same forces they are supposedly railing against. This is not empowerment, this is dependency with attitude. And to end this podcast, I'm going to share with you a declaration that was made at a black convention held in 1848. At this convention, it was said that to, and I quote, to be dependent is to be degraded. Men may pity us, but they cannot respect us, unquote. This mindset needs to make a resurgence before the do-gooders reduce the black race to nothing more than a national burden. Thank you for listening to the Ijanoclast. I've provided the links to the information presented in this podcast down below in the description. I've provided links to my essays and spoken word poems as well. If you enjoyed this podcast, I ask that you like, share, and subscribe. Be sure to check out the upcoming episodes and some of my other work. Thank you again. God bless.